Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. That's right, I'm your host Kurt Sandvig, and on this edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about lake monsters. I love them, you love them, whether you know it or not, you love them. I'm talking about lake monsters, sea serpents, not Nessie. But first, as always, let's do the shout-outs. That's right, we got shout-outs going out to... Aaron, Adam, ah, Monsters, Lauren and David, Alicia, Amber, Amy, Andrew, April, Ashley, Audra, Austin, Autumn, Bill, Bob, Brandon, Carolyn, Carolyn, Carrie, Chris, Chuck, Cindy, Cindy, Cole, Krista, Dan, Dill, Dave and Sean, Donald, Dorian and Isaac, Eek, Eerie the Cat, Elliot, Erica, Ezram, Fran, Gamerfan, George, Harley, Harry, Hayden, Heidi, I, Isabel, Jade, Mark, Jade, Jaime, Jason, Jeff, T, Jennifer, Jennifer, Jared, Jerry, Jim, Joe, John, Joshua, Juliana, Karen, Carrie, Casey, Kelly, Carrie, Kim, Kira, Connie, Christine, Lash, Laura, Laura Rutho, Lauren and Phil Mangano, Lauren McCune, hey howdy hi, Lawrence, Leo, Lindsay, Gio, M. Caballero, Martin, Matt, Megan, Megan, Mickey, Eric, Nanashi, Nick, Nick, Pablo, Paula, Rachel, Robin, Rosa, Russell, Sarah, Sean, Bishop, Seth, Shelley, Suzanne, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah, Hendrickson, Tanya, Trey, Veronica, what's that? And Will. And a special shout out to Joe Teague. Thank you to all the new patrons. Patrons, you got an episode coming up soon. I promise you. It's been a while and I'm uh, sorry that it took so long to get this out. Um, you know, things were shitty for a little while there. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. But, alrighty. Let's move on over to Paranormal News. New theory over mysterious cigar-shaped asteroid which visited our solar system. That's right, we're talking about Umau Mau. Now, this one happened in 2017, yet people are still talking about it, including me. I think it's crazy cool. They say when it flew, they said, they said when it flew past our sun, the world marveled over its elongated cigar-shaped body, which some scientists initially suggested might be an alien probe. But now there's a new theory. Astronomers at Yale and the University of Chicago say it's a hydrogen iceberg. What's that? Well, it's kind of what it sounds like. It is a block of hydrogen ice that is kind of uh, pushing itself through the, uh, you know, pushing itself through space. We, we show that it's likely composed of hydrogen ice. This is a new type of object, but it looks like there may be more of them showing up going forward. It's accelerated in a fashion similar to a comet, yet it shows no evidence of emitting gas or fine billows of dust normally associated with comets. They say that as Umaumau passed close to the sun and received its warmth, melting hydrogen could have rapidly boiled off the icy surface, providing the observed acceleration and also 
winnowing Umamao down to its weird, elongated shape, much as a bar of soap becomes a thin sliver becomes a thin sliver after many uses in the shower. That's a gross analogy. Analogy? That doesn't matter. So, they think they figured out what Umau Mau is. Maybe, possibly. It's just a theory. It's long gone, but they also say they think there are a lot more just like Umau Mau coming. Which, you know, is going to make everybody say, see, it was an alien probe. It sent something back, and now we got a bunch more alien probes coming our way. I don't know. Could be. We'll have to wait and see. Let's stick to space for a second, because another mysterious radio burst in space is repeating a pattern. This one occurs every 157 days. That's right, for the second time ever, astronomers have detected a pattern in a mysterious fast radio burst coming from space. The FRBs, their millisecond-long burst of radio waves in space, and they've been able to trace some of them back to their home galaxies. But they don't know what the actual cause of the burst is. They say because they're repeating, it makes them very interesting. Finding patterns where there shouldn't be patterns in radio bursts, they say is very telling of something. This pattern repeats itself every 157 days. They said that it's been known to be a repeating fast burst radio, fast radio burst since 2016 but they now know its pattern. It took them this long, because it's every 157 days, to figure out that there was a pattern. So, again, something weird, something crazy. Okay, up next in paranormal news. Sticking with space one more time. This is not the end of the world. People keep sending me to this saying, hey, is this the end of the world? First of all, I don't know. Why are you sending it to me? That's way too much pressure. I don't I don't have some inside track on the end of the world. And if I did, I'd only share it with the patrons. Ha! Take that, regular listeners. But no, I have no idea if this is the end of the world. But an asteroid the size of six football fields will speed by Earth Saturday night. That's right. Just days from now depending on if you're listening to it when I release it. An asteroid, again, the size of six football fields, will whiz past Earth Saturday night. Asteroid 2002 NN4, which is a terrible name for it, will pass by Earth on Saturday at 11.20 p.m. Eastern Time. An estimated diameter of up to 1,870 feet long. It seems like it's a big one, they say, but... It's also about 3.2 million miles away from, from our planet. That's 13 times farther than the moon. We're fine. Unless another Umamao bumps it and then it's heading right towards Earth. And then you only have days to live. So if you only have days to live and you've got something that you want to do, now's the time to do it. But we also have a quarantine out there and a pandemic and marches, and all kinds of stuff. 2020 is insane. But, you never know. Might only be till Saturday, so if you got something you want to do, you know, do it. Now, if you are convinced that we're all going to die, and you have a lot of money, you can PayPal me all of that money. I don't mind. 
go ahead and try it. Let's see what happens. You know what? Let's just see what happens. Everybody PayPal me all of your money. Let's see what happens. And, you know, we'll put it up there. You know, we'll just figure it out from there. We'll, we'll figure it out after Saturday. How's that? Alrighty, up next in Paranormal News. The Cecil Hotel is taking applications for tenants. Now, if you don't know what the Cecil Hotel is, I have been teasing an episode about the Cecil Hotel just about as long as I've been doing this podcast. But I've been waiting for it to reopen before I did the episode that I want to do. And I still am. But we're getting closer. That's right. Starting at just $900 a month, I'm assuming, you can stay at one of the most haunted hotels, frankly, in the worst parts of downtown LA. So you get an incredibly haunted hotel where people have died, where serial killers have stayed, and it's in a shitty neighborhood? Come on, guys. Now's the time to do it. Again, it's 2020. What the fuck more could happen to you? You might as well go to one of the most haunted hotels in a shitty part of downtown LA. Okay, finally. It's another space one, but... In a way too technical for me to read it all to you, paranormal news kind of way. Here is the final story for paranormal news. Scientists are saying that black holes are like holograms storing information in a two-dimensional space. And they seem to hold that information forever. What does it mean? No idea. Can we download that information? Or upload it, I should say? No idea. Have you ever seen the old movie Black Hole by Disney? Great movie. It's not that great a movie, but I love it anyway. I, yeah, I don't know what this Black Hole story really means. It went way too technical too quick. And frankly, I, I hadn't been drinking enough at that point to care. So I wanted to put it on here because it is very interesting that they're saying it's like a hologram, but that it stores information in a two-dimensional space forever. No idea. Alrighty, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with some lake monsters. That's right, we are back. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Kurt, haven't you already done a lake monsters episode? Yes, yes I have. Two as a matter of fact. But let's talk about one of the best kind of cryptids that are out there. I'm talking lake monsters. I'm talking sea serpents. I'm talking possibly living dinosaurs. Well, these often misidentified, but sometimes incredible creatures, they can go for decades with no sightings, and then bam, a bunch of new sightings. And it's not just Loch Ness. It's not just Lake Champlain. Not just Ogopogo. There are dozens of lake monsters out there scaring and surprising people all around the very round earth. There may have been so many sightings. In fact, there have been so many sightings that there is even a field of study for it. And it's called the field of Dracontology. That's right, Draconology refers to the study of dragons, but it really means that's actually Draconology. They kind of like perverted it or 
changed it or whatever. They added a T to it, basically, what they did. Draconology is the study of dragons. Dracontology means the study of lake animals unknown to science. That's the quasi-scientific technical term for it. It's basically the investigation of sightings of serpent-like beasts in large bodies of fresh water, sometimes seawater, was apparently named by a friar at saint benoit de loch du lac Sure, saint benoit du lac who was a Benedictine abbey on Lake Memphra-Magog. Memphra-Magog. That is on the border of Quebec and Vermont. Now, Lake Memphra-Magog stretches for 31 miles, and it has an average depth of 51 feet, but at its deepest point, it is 351 feet deep. So, it does get a little deep. It's definitely long, 31 miles. It's a good-sized lake. Now, it was formed by melting glaciers 10,000 years ago during the last ice age. The lake freezes over every winter, often three feet thick. So, since I mentioned that lake and the Benedictine Abbey that came up with a science of studying lake animals unknown to science, well, let's just start there. That's right, Memphrey. It's the creature that lives in Lake Memphrey Magog, which is probably the last time I'm going to say Memphrey Magog because it's it's just too long of a name. Uh, so Memphrey, one of the first sightings of Memphrey, it was from January 21st, 1847. Now it was actually written about at the time in the Stansted Journal. Here is a snippet from the Stansted Journal. I am not aware whether it's generally known that a strange creature, something of a sea serpent, exists in Lake Memphregog. Ooh, you got a free one out of me. Now, it seems like this was a regular creature to write about. In fact, it was written about a number of times. 1850, 1853, 1855, 1866, 1877, 1879, 1892. But I will say that a few of these were just reruns of the same article. Reruns? Reprintings. Uh, yeah, reprintings of the same article. You know what I mean. They were the same articles, they just like, hey, remember what happened two years ago? Crazy cool, wasn't it? Because frankly, that's the kind of stuff that sold newspapers back then. But even before all the newspaper entries, even before the first quote unquote sighting in January 21st, 1847, the First Nations people would be wary on the lake and even told settlers to be cautious on the lake because they knew about this creature. This thing was talked about a lot by the First Nations people. Okay, here's a sighting from May 18th, 2003 of Memphrey. I went fishing this morning around 8.30 a.m. as I live on the shores of Castlebrook, which flows into that lake. I was going east towards the other side of the lake when suddenly in the middle of the lake facing Lafrenne Bay, Lafrenne Bay, I don't know, between Eagle Island and the first island of the Three Sisters Islands, my attention was drawn to a reflection in the water. The lake was very calm, and the sun was facing me. There was a wave shining in the water, but it was more than a wave. It was like lights shining at night, although it was daytime. When this luminous effect caught my eye, I saw what seemed to be the shape of a whale. Now, I've seen them fairly frequently on my trips to the North Shore. There was no tail, and there was no head. It was approximately 800 feet from me and measured about 30 feet. 
The reflection was so intense that it looked like it would be at the front end of the animal. The phenomenon lasted about three minutes. I had enough time to approach it. It eventually dove back in the water without returning to the surface. Even if the lake was calm at that very moment, I saw a huge wave coming towards me. It was more like three massive waves, and when this wave reached my small 14-foot boat, it lifted the boat quite high. I made a comparison about a half hour later when a boat passed by me and the wave was much smaller than that one. It occurred to me that the animal in question had moved a volume of water much greater than the 1 to 2,000 boat had that just passed me. I figured that the impact was at least three times more powerful. I looked around to see if there were any other boats that I could contact to see if they had witnessed what I had just seen, but there weren't any. This wasn't a hallucination, and it did look like a whale, as I said before. But the animal was black and shiny, about 30 feet long, moving very slowly, no head, no tail. Very interesting. I mean, this guy actually went out towards it. He didn't just see it from a distance and went, oh, that's weird, and it was probably just a wave. No, he watched it for an extended period of time, went towards it, and it seemed to react to him coming towards him, towards it, by turning around and going deeper at him, if you will. There was something substantial in the water, bigger than what he said, a one to 2,000 pound boat. And 14 foot boat isn't that small, but it definitely rocked his boat and he knew what he was talking about. He's local, he's in the area, on the lake quite a bit, has seen things in the lake, including whales, yet couldn't figure out what he was looking at in that one. Alrighty, so there's a little bit about good old Memphrey, but before I move on to the next creature, I wanted to read to you just a couple more early newspaper articles about sea serpents. As you guys know, I love going to the source and actually reading the newspaper articles because I think it's very telling. I'm not listening to, you know, some idiot on bobsblog.com. No, I'm going to the source itself and I'm finding out what they wrote back then. Okay, the first one comes from the Nashville Banner, and it's from July 11th, 1896. And it says, This is a real sea serpent. Tacoma fishermen proved the monster is not a myth. They caught it alive in Hood's Canal, Puget Sound. Many kinds of sea monsters were seen by sailors. It actually has a really cool drawing. I'm not going to read the whole article, but they said that basically... It had a bulldog's head, tiger's fangs, a snake's body, and a colossal neck. Now, a lot of people have said, and you're going to hear it a lot in this episode, that they're always, you know, black and shiny like a snake, maybe an eel, but they always seem to have either a dog's head, a horse's head, a camel's head, but all of those have generally the same shape, especially the horse and the camel head, which gets brought up time and time and time again. Now, if you know anything about an oarfish, which a lot of the sea serpents, you know, there may be sea monsters, that kind of thing on old-timey maps, they would draw an oarfish because it, frankly, looked like a sea monster. You can't blame them. If you've seen one, it's large, it's silver, it's very long, but it doesn't have a horse's head or even a bulldog's head at this point. It has a fish's head. If you've seen an eel, would you say an eel has a horse's head? Because, frankly... I wouldn't. But again, 
sightings over and over and over again for hundreds of years. Like I said, I went back to 1896 for this specific article. There's something out there. Now they say sometimes, in the article that is, they say sometimes the sea serpents were only 60 feet long. And again, they reached the stupendous length of 600 feet long. One captain of an excursion barge, was, which was kept out all night in Long Island Sound, so that the manager of the bar on board could sell all of his beer to thirsty passengers, reported passing a sea serpent 1,000 feet long. Some of the passengers were quite sure it was 2,000 feet long. It is necessary to state that this sea monster was the sea serpent was sighted after every drop of beer and whiskey on board had been consumed. Fair enough. So they were drunk. But, again, you don't mistake something that's 20 feet long for a thousand feet long, or two thousand feet long for that matter. They said the uh, Tacoma Sea Serpent, as far lengths go, were mild in comparison. One measured ten feet, the other eight feet. This, of course, is disappointing, but their capture proves beyond all peradventure that sea serpents actually exist. A number of scientists have examined them without being able to clarify them, classify them. One of the sea serpents was killed during the capture, but the other... Uh-oh, where'd it go? In the... the other... The other, a female, was alive and well at last accounts. She is not a pretty creature by any means. She has a head like a bulldog, an extraordinarily thick and long neck, measuring about 26 inches in circumference. Her body is like that of a huge rattlesnake, striped and spotted and tapering to a point at the tail. A colossal fin runs the entire length of the vertebrae, and similar fin underneath runs along the stomach to the tail. She has great fangs like those of a tiger and heavy molar teeth. Beyond the gills, no, behind the gills are inside fins, and but for those, she would never be recognized as bearing any kinship to the fish family. If this sea serpent had not been captured by the fishermen who first saw it, it would no doubtless it would doubtlessly be classed with what is generally termed the Grand Army of Sea Serpent Liars. When the news of its capture reaches all parts of the world, it will doubtless cause something of a sensation as scientists have fought and wrangled over what is called the sea serpent myth for many years. Yet on the books of the United States and British navies are many records furnished by captains of warships of sea serpents which had been seen. Furthermore, it is known for its instance that monsters exactly corresponding with the description of the sea serpent by people who have claimed to have seen it, seen it have existed in past ages. In the museum of Yale College are the skeletons of many of these creatures dug out of rocks from the beds of dried up seas where they had reposed for ages. Now, I really liked that part because what they're saying is, hey, you know those fossils that everybody's digging up and talking about? Remember, again, this is 1896. Hey, you know those fossils? That's what this creature looks like. And guess what? Those fossils were plesiosaurs, dinosaurs. These people in 1896 saying, yep, that is exactly what we saw. Now, sadly, I don't know what happened to this female sea serpent. I mean, definitely it has never been caused a worldwide sensation. It's not still alive and, you know, in some aquarium somewhere you can go look at. But it's very telling. Again, 1896, they said those things that you guys are now finding in the rocks and the dirt. That's what we saw. Now, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in the article. It goes on to say that sea serpents had a neck at least 50 feet long, according to the scientist of the British Museum. 
were the skeleton of such a serpent to be seen, it had a large head with immense eyes and swam through the water, something like a giant snake. And that is exactly what people were seeing, including Captain Lawrence de Ferry, who made an oath before a magistrate in 1746 that he had chased a sea serpent with a crew of sailors in a rowboat, but the monster escaped. The captain described the creature as a formidable specimen, fully 600 feet long, whose coils, who coils above the water look like a row of hogsheads. And that, of course, is they're talking about the Gloucester Sea Serpent, which I talked about in a previous episode. Now, this article just keeps going. It's amazing. It keeps going on and on and on about sea serpents. But my favorite thing about this article, it has a drawing of this dog head, tiger fang, snake body sea serpent, which, between you and me, I kind of want to make into a shirt because I really dig it. Alrighty, let's read another article real quick before we keep on keeping on. And this one, well, this one was reprinted re, uh, a lot. And for a long time, for years. But this one comes from the Mon huh, Montgomery Advertiser, June 13th, 1897. That's right, 1897. It says, now comes the serpents of the sea. And again, it has an amazing, a bunch of actually amazing drawings of a sea serpent. It is incredibly cool to look at. They said, with the approach of the season of the summer, hotels and resorts, there is sure to be a reappearance of the sea serpent along our coast for the especial amusement of the visitors to the seashore. The sea serpent has become an annual custom, so to speak, and it's poor place that cannot boast of one in some form. I have no idea what that means. It is humorously, it is humorously alleged that the sea serpent has been laughed out of existence, but in truth, it is the evidence which has been suppressed by a mockery of men refusing to tell what they have seen. So basically it's saying what everybody says throughout the years. A lot of people are seeing it, but they don't want to seem crazy, so they're not talking about it. Now it tells a bunch of tales of sea serpents, a lot of them from around the world. It, it would take me an hour to read this whole article about it. Uh, like uh, Mr. Armit's serpent, uh, seen by Mr. Armit of Leith, Scotland, while on voyage from Panama to Kalau in July of 1876 from the disabled ship Columbo of Greenock. Tells that to it tells that tale. Um, it's a very basic tale. This guy was out there, saw a sea serpent. They're in the middle of the water. The ship was not working for whatever reason. It was disabled. They looked out. Bam. They saw a very large sea serpent. He said it was in the Bering Sea, surrounding a school of five young whales with its tails, and then proceeds to eat them at leisure. They are caught as in a net, not thinking to dive under the huge tail, which the serpent allows to float upon the water. That's bizarre. That's crazy cool. It also talks about Bishop Egad's sea serpent that uh, almost attacked his ship in June 17th of 1734, or how about the Plesiosaurus, or sea serpent of the past ages? Again, 1897, this is a new theory, but boy, are they talking about it. They talked to a Dr. Newman, the editor of the, of the zoologist, hailed Captain Hope's discovery as the most interesting biological event of the century. It's just amazing to me how, matter of fact, they're talking about sea serpents how many sea serpents they found. They talk about the frozen sea serpent that washed ashore even though it was winter time. 
They had no idea what it was. They say the color of her skin was dark, differing from little from what they saw in the water or the back of any common fish. It is yet to be identified. Let's see what else is on here. I mean, it just keeps going. The Katie Sea Serpent, which was seen May 31st, 1882. Uh, they talk about another one where a party of businessmen went on, went on a duck hunting trip in the District of North Carolina, made famous by Mr. Cleveland, found a monster carcass on the seashore. They were on their way home when they saw a sight that at first filled them with consternation. It was about 9.30 o'clock in the morning. 9.30 o'clock in the morning? You don't have to write the o'clock. Um, boy, these are really hard to figure out where the next line of this is. About 9.30 in the morning. At the right of them, they had just beyond the reach of the tide, lay one of the most hideous-looking objects they had ever seen or heard of. They dropped their game and ran towards the water's edge. What they saw was a sea serpent. And make no mistake... The carcass was encrusted with ice porcupine. Oh, with ice, I see. It goes down here. The carcass was encrusted with ice, and from the tip of the nose to the tip of the tail was no less than 36 feet long. To make sure it was, uh, make sure of the snake's length, they paced it several times. The monster was as thick around as a beer keg, except for the neck part, which was no larger than an ordinary man yard long. The head was frightfully hideous. The wide-open jaws revealed two rows of teeth, of razor-sharp teeth. The huge tongue was swollen and coated with ice. The eyes were shut and had fallen into the head, leaving holes large enough to put in each socket a good-sized apple. Sure, measuring with a good-sized apple. The most hideous thing about the head, which was two feet long, was the beard, or rather what looked like a beard. The beard was in reality nothing but a bunch of feelers and suckers. They were about two feet long, and stuck out in all directions like, ah, here we go, like the quills of a porcupine. They, as well as the forepart of the head, were crushed. This was probably due to the snake's carcass coming in contact with some passing vessel, or perhaps it became entangled with the propeller of a coast steamer. Six men while rowing, oh, then it goes on to the, the Gloucester uh, monster. But they're saying, hey, this thing that we found sounds very similar, again, to the Gloucester sea serpent which seemed to have been a snake. What these guys said they looked like was a snake. Uh, they also have a, a, a drawing of the German government's illustrated report on sea serpent investigations, which is crazy cool. This whole article is amazing. I'm probably going to share this, but I don't know how I can share it. I guess I can take a screenshot and share it that way. Um, let me see if I can do that now while I'm thinking of it. Hmm, no. I'll have to figure out a way to save this. At the very least, I want to take a couple of screenshots of the actual sea serpents. Again, I think it would make an awesome t-shirt, but that's just me. Alrighty, so let's move on to another article. The last article on this episode comes from the Topeka State Journal, August 1st, 1896. And it says, a real sea serpent. This one again talks about another sea serpent caught alive. And they're waiting for experts basically to come and take a look at it to see what they have because they said it doesn't look like anything that anything that's living again what happened to this where's the follow-up to this i'm very curious as to what happened with any of these did someone come and finally take a look at it and go oh yeah that's an oarfish moving on or was there something more that we'll never find out about because it's kind of lost to time I don't know the answer to that. That's that's just one of, that's one of my questions for you. I'm I'm starting the questions early in this episode. Alrighty, let's get back into the stories because the next one is a weird one. 
depending on who you believe. And that's because this next sea serpent could have two heads or could even fly. But most people say it's just a sea serpent, just a regular old sea serpent. And its name is Seal Key. Now, Seal Key lives in the swamps of Chilliwack in British Columbia. Seal Key has been seen for hundreds of years. Again, they talk about it in lore by the First Nations people, and the most common description, at least that I could find, is a 10 to 15 foot long sea serpent with a horse's head. Boom, there you go. So your basic sea serpent. Now, some farther out descriptions say that it has a head on each end. Now, most descriptions talk about how the creature was snake-like with two heads, but I think it's just lore because there's a warning that goes along with Seal Key. That's right. This sea serpent has a warning that has been passed along from generation to generation by the First Nations people. Now, one of the first European settlers to that region, Isaac Kipp, says he saw Seal Key and that the First Nations people gave him this warning. If you see Seal Key, never turn your back on the beast. They say, don't turn around. If you do, you'll be sick. That's it. That's the whole warning. What What? What kind of sick? What are we talking Are you going to throw up? Or are you going to get like some disease? Are you cursed? What are we talking about, people? No idea. That's all they give me. So... If you're in the Chilliwack area, hanging out in the swamps, and you see a sea monster, don't turn around. Because if you do, you'll be sick. Or do turn around, and then tell me what kind of sick. Is it like a head cold? Like, what'd you get? Tell me that. Preferably take a video of the creature, then tell me later. Or Facebook Live it. Somehow I want to see the fucking thing is what I'm saying. Alrighty. Let's move on since Seal Key's sightings just aren't that impressive to me. So let's move on to the Filey Brig. Now Filey Brig is a long ridge of rocks off a long, narrow peninsula situated about a mile north of Filey, North Yorkshire in the UK. I'm sure it's not pronounced Filey Brig because nothing over there is pronounced what it's supposed to be, but... I'm going to call it Filey Brig, and it's a treacherous bunch. The area is a treacherous bunch of jagged rocks offshore that has taken out many ships over the years. So many, in fact, that the legends claim that the peninsula itself was created by the devil for the specific purpose of causing shipwrecks. Now, another fable says that the brig was formed by nothing less than the skeleton of a huge dragon, which had been felled by a brave tailor by the name of Billy Biter. That's right. Billy Biter took out a dragon on Filey Brig. Sure, why not? Now, according to local historian Kath Wilkie, the sea serpent was enticed to eat a great amount of parkin. What? Well... I looked it up. Parkin is a North English form of gingerbread. So, the, the legend goes, the sea serpent eats a bunch of parkin. And, it, and its mouth gets, like, you know, so sticky shut that it leapt into the waves and tried to use the water to wash its mouth out. Now, the villagers that tricked it, eating, that tricked it into eating the parkin 
rushed out into the waters and killed the creature, forming the jagged rock skeleton, blah, 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 of the creature that you see, blah, blah. All right. Now, others suggest that the legend of Billy Biter and that of the cake might actually be the same thing. Like, Billy Biter killing it and the cake part, they, they think that they might be the same story because records show that Ralph Parkin and Mary Brumfit were married on August 10th, 1794 at St. Oswald's Church in Filey. And they think that that's the kernel of truth into the story that it wasn't parkin like the gingerbread maybe it was ralph parkin that it was eating and then the villagers went out and killed it but legends be damned let's talk about what people are seeing there for that let's move on to a coast guard named wilkinson herbert who wrote on february 28th 1934 that he witnessed a 30-foot creature just offshore. The newspapers, he told the newspapers about it, the newspapers wrote, Coast Guard meets monster by night. Eyes like saucers. Two huge humps. He said, Suddenly I heard a growling like a dozen dogs ahead. Walking nearer, I switched on my torch, flashlight, and was confronted by a huge neck six yards ahead of me, rearing up three feet high. The head was a startling sight, huge tortoise eyes glaring at me like saucers. The creature's mouth would be a foot wide and the creature's neck would be a yard around. Perhaps a relative of the local dragon. Sure, maybe it's not the relative, maybe it is the local dragon. Let's keep going. He says, now however, where is it? He says he saw the thing on the shore last night, a dark night, flashlight, it was confronted by a huge neck, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and it started uh, six yards ahead of me rearing up eight feet the mars the monster appeared as startled as i was shining my torch along the ground i saw a body about 30 feet long i thought this was no place for me that's an understatement and from a distance i threw stones at the creature and that's stupid it moved away growling fiercely and i saw the huge black body had two humps on it and four short legs with huge flappers on them i could not see any tail it moved quickly, rolling from side to side, and went into the sea. As soon as the creature took to the sea, Herbert decided to climb one of the steepest hills, the cliffs, nearby to get a better vantage point. He said, from the clifftop, I looked down and I saw two eyes like torchlights shining out of the sea 300 yards away. It was the most gruesome and thrilling experience. I've, I've seen big animals abroad, but nothing like this. He said, when fishermen told us a fortnight ago in Filey that they had seen a monster of unclassified but awe-inspiring species about three miles out to sea, we were skeptical. The fishermen, perhaps were discouraged, said no more, and we concluded that the monster had gone off to the same retreat as its Loch Ness relative. Except it hadn't. Alrighty, so, um, Wilkinson? Yeah, he was kind of a dumb idiot. If you stumble upon a sea serpent out of the water directly in front of you that evil and big and scary and growly don't throw rocks at it what are you doing dude come on i don't know why i'm yelling at him it happened in 1934 it's almost like 100 years ago but you know still fuck that guy all righty the next one is a short one but a good one now it happened off the southern coast of greenland a sea serpent was seen there 
and here's the tale as it was told. On the 6th of July, 1734, when off the south coast of Greenland, a sea monster appeared to us, whose head when raised was on level with our main top. Its snout was long and sharp, and it blew water almost like a whale. It has large, broad paws, its body was covered with scales, its skin was rough and uneven. In other respects, it was as a serpent, and when it dived, its tail, which was raised in the air, appeared to be the whole ship's length from its body. Written by Hans Egad, Egad, sure, Norwegian missionary, who later became the Bishop of Greenland. All right, reputable source. He was a missionary, later became the bishop, wasn't prone to lying. Says he saw exactly what he wrote. There is nothing like that alive that we know about. This one had large, broad paws. Now, I don't know what he means by paws, because there was, there was another story where they said paws, but then they said it had flippers at the end of the paws. So I don't know if he means just short, stumpy legs like, you know, like corgis have. Like, I don't know what he really means by that. But he did go on to say the body was covered with scales. The thing, when it was out, it was at level with our main top. I looked that up. That's a big thing. And then it said that the tail was the whole ship's length. That's huge. Like I said, short, but really good. Okay, from here, let's move on over to Oregon. And it's known as the Columbia Bar Serpent, or also known as Colossal Clawed. That's right, let's talk about Colossal Clawed for a second. Now, on or just after the Ides of March in 1934, the skipper of the light ship Tender Rose returned from a just-dropping-off relief crew on the Columbia River lightship with this story. So, they went out, they dropped off crew to the Columbia River uh, lightship, whatever that is. It's a ship, basically. They drop off crew to the ship, they come back, and they say, the entire crew of the lightship, as well as the crew of the Tender Rose, saw a huge snake swimming around the ship. It was about 40 feet long. Now, Ellie Larson, who was the first mate aboard the Rose, said... It had a neck some eight feet long, a big round body, a mean-looking tail, and an evil, snaky look to its head. Jay Jensen, who was captain of the Rose, told the uh, morning Oregonian, Oregonian, Oreg I'll say Oregonian, that the uh, creature's head looked more like that of a camel than a snake. See, horse, camel, a lot over and over again. Now, members of the crew watched the creature with field glasses, binoculars for a few minutes, they wanted to launch a small boat and approach it for better view, but the officers ordered them not to. They said the sea serpent was big enough that it could potentially flip their boat over. Now they watched for a while longer, then it just kind of swam away. Then, three months later, a strange carcass was reportedly washed up uh, on shore of Long Beach Peninsula in southwest Washington. Now, there was some speculation that it could be the sea serpent, but no samples were taken. We will never know. Was it a globster or was it Colossal Claude? But the story doesn't end there because it seems like Claude did indeed survive and was spotted again in 1937. This time, the crew of the fishing trawler Viv reported that Claude had reappeared and spent a little time studying them at close range. It seemed very interested in them. Captain Charles Graham described it as a long, hairy, tan-colored creature 
with the head of an overgrown horse, about 40 feet long, with a four-foot waist. That's four-foot in diameter waist. Horse head again. Another one with horse head. Then more Claude. I'm not even done with Claude yet. Because a few months later, another report came in from another couple, from a couple, I should say, walking along the beach. Now, the couples, the couple were named the Whites. That was their last name. They were visiting Devil's Churn, which is about 120 miles to the south from the last sighting when they saw it. It was just offshore. They said it was a huge hairy thing that looked like a giant aquatic giraffe with a neck and maned head sticking up 15 feet above the water. 15 feet. This thing is huge. Now they estimated it at 55 feet in length, in overall length. Then Claude started heading south, so the Whites went, whoa, we got to keep watching it. So they jump in their car and they actually give chase. They actually drive along the water on the road, but along the water. And they say, you know what, the best lookout spot, the next one will be Hasita Head, Hakita Head, it's H-E-C-E-T-A, Head. So when they arrived there, they were ahead of Claude's. They waited and waited and waited, and sure enough, they spotted Claude again. And as they watched him for a little while, he just headed out to sea. Then, April 13th in 1939, the crew of a halibut fishing ship, the Argo, came face to face with a creature near the mouth of the river. Now the creature reared up over 10 feet out of water and was said to look directly at the crew. Again, very interested in people. The men stood and watched the large thing as it was watching them from about uh, it was about uh, 10 feet from the ship's hull, and they said it was just sitting there, eating a fish, watching them. Argo captain Chris Anderson reportedly had to step in when the men grabbed a large boat hook with plans to punch the monster. Dickheads. Also, not a monster. Now, according to Anderson, he said, this thing could have sunk us with a nudge. Now, in another newspaper interview about the account, Anderson reportedly stated his head was like a camel's. His fur was coarse and gray. He had glossy eyes, glassy eyes, and a bent snout that he used to push, uh, to push a 20-pound halibut off our lines and into its mouth. Still not done with Claude. There's still more Claude to be had because the next really interesting sighting of Claude was in 1963 when the Shell Oil Company, doing an oil research off the coast of uh, Oregon, recorded a videotape that apparently shows a 15-foot creature with barnacle ridges swimming in 180 feet of water. Grain assault time. I can only find two frames of the footage. Apparently, that's all that exists now. Two frames of the footage. Now, to me, it looks like an octopus, but who knows if it's even legit. I will uh, gladly post these two frames up onto, onto the Facebook page and Instagram or whatever, but I am going by website who is going by website who is going by website who is going by website saying, yes, this is the actual two frames of the Shell Oil footage. So I don't know if it's legit. I really don't. I would, hey, look, Shell, if you're listening, and you know they are, because Shell loves a paranormal almanac. But Shell Oil, if you're listening, find me that footage. Let's watch it together. 
Still not done with Claude, though, because the next good sighting happened to a local fisherman who had, a taken, who had taken his boat up the Columbia River east of Astoria in 1989. He said they were dragging a net several hundred feet long and around 30 feet deep. When they tried to haul in their net to see what they caught, they found that they had snagged something and that it halted the ship's motion and even started to pull the ship, the bow of the boat, down into the water. Captain Donald Rizwick throttled the boat forward and freed the ship from whatever had snagged it, but was shocked to discover a large hole in the net that measured several feet across when they reeled the net in. All right, I'm not an expert, obviously, on fishing boats. I think the most that I know about fishing boats is what I learned about shrimp boats and Forrest Gump, but, all right, and maybe, you know, what I learned in Jaws, but they didn't have nets. Uh, my question is, how do they know they didn't snag a rock? Because, you know, like, it was underwater, it was 30 feet down. Maybe they knew that it was hundreds of feet deep, so there should be nothing 30 feet down? Is that it? But how do they know they didn't just snag something down there like a shipwreck or a rock or whatever? Is it because it was pulling the boat's bow down? I don't know. I don't have an answer to this. Again, I guess it's another question for you guys. If you're a fisherman and you use a fishing net and you know anything about fishing and netting, how do they know they snagged something? And are they saying that when they like, you know, floored it, that they ripped through it like it ripped through the net to break free i am again i'm glad they didn't catch colossal claude i would have hated to tell you that yep and colossal claude was killed by two idiots fishing in a boat in 1989 that would have been a terrible ending to colossal claude hopefully he's still out there still watching people still stealing their fish and you know eating it while they watch people while it watches people Alrighty, let's keep on keeping on, this time, to Margar, which is off the coast of Cornwall, in the waters of Falmouth Bay. Falmouth Bay? Sure, whatever, I don't care. Alright, so there's a 20-foot-long snake-like creature that has been spotted for over 140 years now. It's been named Morgar, which, as you all know, you already know this, but I'm going to say it anyway, Morgwar is Cornish for sea giant. And if you happen to speak Cornish and I happen to say it wrong, sorry. I don't know. I'm, I'm very, very sorry. You got me. So, the earliest sighting of Morgwar, I'm just going to keep calling it that, was when a long-necked creature was caught by fishermen in Garen's Bay. What happened then? No idea. There is literally no more information on what happened after they caught a long-necked creature in Garen's or Jaren's Bay. Now that raises my bullshit flag because if you caught a sea monster, you know everyone would be talking about it for years. As you heard from the earlier part of this episode with the newspapers, they regurgitated those newspapers over and over and over again because it's a big fucking story. This one? Nope. Literally, that's it. Earliest sighting was when a long-necked creature was caught by fishermen in Garen's Bay. Doesn't even mention the fisherman's name. My bullshit, like I said, my bullshit flag is kind of high on that one, but that's what it said, so I wanted to leave it in there. Then, in 1975, near 
Pendennis Point, a creature was spotted described as having a trunk with a very long neck and black or brown skin like a sea lion's. There's a lot of theories about why it's been spotted since the 70s. Now, these theories are like the local mackerel fishermen who say they blame the bad weather on Marguar. They, you know, they, they blame the bad fishing, the poor fishing on sightings of the monster. Like, oh, if you see the monster, you're not going to catch any fish. If you see the monster, you'll have bad weather. But some sites say that the monster appeared after a German submarine U-28 torpedoed a British merchant ship during World War I and describe it as 60 feet long, shaped like a crocodile, with four webbed feet and a powerful tail. None of that I can prove. Obviously not the four webbed feet and powerful tail. I meant the German submarine U-28 torpedoing a British merchant ship off the shores of Falmouth Bay. Probably happened. I'm not saying it didn't, but I can't prove it. So let's keep on keeping on. Next up for Marguar, a Truro dental technician cited, quote, something off Rosemullion Head. He said at first he thought it was a whale, but then its long neck and head broke the waves and looked around before diving under not to be seen again. Then, a local fisherman says he saw Marguar when he was out wreck fishing on a flat, calm August day. And since I didn't know, let me tell you what wreck fishing is. It's exactly what it is in the title. Wreck fishing. You're fishing by wrecks of stuff. Probably boats. Probably not cars. You're fishing by boat wrecks. Because the fish use it for hiding and whatnot, apparently it's good fishing. But, pretty self-explanatory, right? But anyhow, now you know. He said he saw an upturned boat on his starboard side. So he got closer. He wanted to go check it out, make sure no one was hurt. And he said, oh, it, it's not a boat. It must be a dead whale. But nope. He changed his mind when the dead whale lifted its head three to four feet out of the water like a snake. He said, it just looked at us, looked at my mate, and then slowly swam away. Then, 1935, Marguar was seen just off Port Isaac. One witness described its big head, a goose-like neck head, and a huge hump on its back resembling a big barrel. It said it was between 40 and 50 feet long, and, the behind, and that behind on the surface of the water was a tremendous tail tapering to a point. According to sightings, the mouth of Helford River seems to be Marguar's favorite place. Most sightings have been there between the Rosemullion Head and Toll Point. The area has been nicknamed Marguar's Mile. That's right, Marguar's Mile. Do they use miles? That's weird. Wait, do they use... Um, they must, because they didn't call it Marguar's Kilometer, so it must be miles. Now, I'm going to post a pretty shit-tacular photo of Marguar from 1999, but I'll describe it for you here. All right, think of the classic picture of Loch Ness Monster. You have that in your head? Now imagine that you traveled back to the early 90s on a dial-up computer and you were uploading the photo and the photo was taken by an early 90s cell phone so it has no resolution at all, like 0.3 megapixels. That's what this photo looks like. It is a black digital blur 
over a light blue background. 1999. Come on, man. That's the best you could get. That's a frustrating photo. But that's what it is. And finally, let me tell you the tale of the Skegness monster. Well, it's carcass anyway. This one happened in 1935 when locals found the body of a strange creature washed ashore on the Lincolnshire, Bre Lincolnshire Beach. And now at first they thought it was a huge octopus or maybe even a squid. A newspaper report at the time said it had a horned-like beak like a parrot with a mouth hidden away in the center of eight powerful tentacles studded with horny suckers. Horny suckers. So, to me, that sounds like a giant squid, a dead giant squid. But they said it wasn't a squid. They had someone come and take a look at it, and the guy said, I don't know what that is, but it ain't a squid. And it's not an octopus. Then, in 1941, another creature was seen near there. Don't worry, just wait till the end. Local news reported that an amphibious monster was caught after being chased by three men and seven horses. I am assuming that the men were using the seven horses, like maybe riding a few of them, because I doubt the way they worded it, it sounds like three men and seven horses all got together and said, oh shit, let's go get that amphibious monster. Now the report says, the, noise, the noises emitted by the animal are those heard by mariners sometimes lured to the destruction at sea when their ship is wrecked. I will say that based on everything I could find online, my guess is the second creature was a sea lion. A particularly large one, but a sea lion nonetheless. But it doesn't explain the first dead thing. Was it a giant squid and this guy just didn't know what he was talking about? Or was it something unknown? Well, we won't ever know because as always, the body washed away. While I'm talking about the Skegness monster, Please, don't send me the newer 2013 sightings of the Skegness monster. Why? Well, that's because it's a known hoax done by James May. James May of Top Gear fame? Well, he did it for a BBC TV show to try and drum up tourism to the area. So, you know, good effort. Looks neat. Looks very good. Maybe had I not done a little research, I would have been, you know, shocked by it. But... I wasn't. It's a known hoax. Alrighty, I should stop, but let's keep on going. Let's let's do some more. Because up next is Normie from Lake Norman, North Carolina. Now here are a couple of sightings. A 35-year-old man from Mecklenburg County spotted, quote, a dinosaur-like creature while out on Lake Norman. He said, I was on a boat with my friends. We were near the lake's main channel when we saw something splashing around in the water. He said it was about 10 feet long and reminded him of the Loch Ness Monster. Not a monster. Here's the thing, though. Lake Norman? Now, it's not some ancient glacier lake that, you know, happened in the last ice age and everything was trapped in there, like just about every lake with a monster in it. No. Lake Norman was dammed up and created in 1963. It's not that old. But even still, there are a minimum of four documented sightings every year since 2010. So for 10 years now, four times a year minimum, people are spotting something that they all say looks like a dinosaur, reminds them of Loch Ness Monster. 
something seems to be there. Now they say the descriptions of Normie vary from sighting to sighting and range from a crocodilian-like monster to the more classic three-humped serpent. Though most have seen the Lake Norman monster, they seem to agree that it's more fish-like with a slender body, thick whisker-like appendages, flippers, and a ragged-looking dorsal fin. Okay. They go on to say that legendary lake monster investigator and founder of the Global Underwater Search Team, or GUST, Jan Ove Sundberg, has even expressed interest in the Lake Norman monster. He said, look, with all of my legendary lake monster investigations that I've seen, there is something in this water. Now, there was even a hunt for Normie in 2006, and I mean an extensive hunt, but thankfully... That hunt didn't turn up Normie. So, is Normie just some ginormous catfish or sturgeon or something? No idea. Is it a large crocodile somehow that made its way up to North Carolina? Don't know. But most of the sightings say, nope, it looks like a dinosaur. It looks like the Loch Ness Monster. And by dinosaur, I'm assuming they mean it looks like a plesiosaur. I don't think they mean it looks like a T-Rex swimming around with tiny little T-Rex arms. All right, let's move on to Bessie. That's right, I'm going to keep going. That's right, keeping going. Bessie. Now, Bessie is in Ohio's Lake Erie. Eh, technically, it's Michigan's Lake Erie, but Harold Bricker, who saw Bessie, says that it was in Ohio's Lake Erie. So that's what he called it in 1990 when him, his wife Cora, and their son Robert were out fishing when he noticed something moving in the water about a thousand feet from their boat. He saw what looked like a long, sleek sea serpent swimming through the choppy waves. They said the creature was black, about 35 feet long, with a snake-like head. Now, he wanted to go investigate, but his son was too nervous to get closer, pointing out that whatever this thing was, it was certainly bigger than them and their boat. Now, the Brickers weren't the only ones to see it that day. It was seen by at least five other witnesses at close range as well. In July of 1931, two Lake Erie fishermen, Clifford Wilson and Francis Kogenstos, sure, why not, claimed that a sea serpent was plunging through the waves near their boat in Sandusky Bay. Now, despite their fear, the two men managed to club the beast, bring it to shore, and wrestle its limp body into a shipping crate. Dickheads. Now, this time though, they actually had a body. When the curator of the Cleveland Museum of Natural History heard about it and came to investigate, he determined that the creature that was in the crate was actually an Indian python. Why it was in there, how it was found in Ohio is unknown. Now, some people think these guys it was all a hoax. They were doing it to get the money. But others say, nope, there was just a very large snake that was out on the water for some unknown reason. Now, John Schaffner, who is editor of the Beacon newspaper in Port Clinton, Ohio, he set up an 800 number for sightings and was surprised by how many he got. He said they were serious as a heart attack. They were absolutely convinced they were seeing something in the water, something they couldn't identify. Like this one. He said one woman in particular left a message that she was having coffee on her lakefront porch one summer morning when she was overcome by a powerful stench. 
she swears she saw a slinky sea monster with two humps in the water. The leading theory of what people are seeing doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't match the descriptions at all. But the leading theory, I, you know, when I deep dove this thing, I'm putting it out here for you skeptics who say, I know what it is. So here you go. The leading theory is that what they're seeing is a sturgeon. Now, that could make sense because sturgeons are in the Great Lakes. They get monstrous in size. I mean, they get huge. The largest specimen ever caught in Wisconsin was seven feet long and weighed 212 pounds. Now, if you've seen a sturgeon, they look prehistoric. They've got huge fangs. They're ginormous. They've got bumps on them like dinosaurs, if you will. But again, it doesn't match the descriptions given. So I don't know. I just don't see. I think they're, what they're saying is we know that we have large sturgeon in that lake. People are seeing something large in that lake. So by the SAT properties, it must be a sturgeon that people are seeing. Again, I don't know if I buy it. I really don't. All right. That'll about do it. That'll wrap it up. That puts us at about an hour. That's where I kind of want to be. Um, before I get to the questions, let me just say thank you all for understanding that I didn't do an episode last week. Almost every podcast out there said, hey, this is a week where we need to pause. Let's not talk about sea serpents or Bigfoot or whatever podcast that you happen to be listening to. Let's take a moment because a moment was happening. The Black Lives Movement was happening and it needs to happen. It needs to continue to happen. Those protests were absolutely amazing. I, I apologize if you don't think so. Actually, I kind of don't. Um, I personally think that those protests were absolutely amazing. I honestly think that there was one that was on my street. It was peaceful. Nothing happened. It was fantastic. This is something that needs to be talked about. Let's keep everyone safe. It's 2020, for God's sakes. It's time to, you know, stop this shit. This, this shit that just keeps happening over and over and over, decade after decade. It's 2020. We're in the future. Let's be done with it. Thank you to everyone that went out and protested, that made their voice heard online, that did whatever you could do to move that movement. Thank you for understanding. That's why I didn't do an episode last week. Again, if you're offended by anything I just said, please just listen to what I said. It's nothing offensive. I'm not making a political statement, which I could do, but I don't want to. Thank you for everyone. Also, thank you to every first responder, every mail carrier, every delivery person that's out there because COVID-19 is still happening. It's not done. It's definitely not a hoax. I've been seeing so many people say it's a hoax and that angers me because I know people that have died from COVID-19. This isn't a hoax, people. Please, I need you all to stay home and stay safe. I love chatting with you guys on the, the live shows, which will be a live show this week. Don't worry. I love chatting with you guys in the live shows. I love chatting with you guys on the Zoom chats or the Facebook live chats. Apparently, Zoom sucks so bad. We're going to try this new Facebook group thing. But I love chatting with you all. I need you all. 
to stay safe. You guys are believers or skeptical believers or listen to this for whatever reason you listen to it. And I appreciate every one of you. Alrighty, there's enough of that crap. Let's move on to the fun stuff. There are, I believe, five or six new styles of shirts at the merch store at storeenvy.com slash paranormal almanac. I think that's what it is. It's paranormal almanac. Go to store envy, look up paranormal almanac or Google paranormal almanac store envy. You'll find it. There's some amazing new styles and there are more coming. You guys asked for specific stuff. So I gave you the specific stuff you asked for. I've already seen a couple people buy them. I love it. I love the fact that you guys want to wear the merch. You want to promote the show. Thank you so much. Honestly, thank you guys. Share this with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it on Facebook. Join that new Facebook fan group that Sean uh, Burke made. It's, it's a cool group, man. I really like hanging out with you guys on there. It seems it's a real easy, it's a better place for you guys to post stuff because of the real Facebook, whatever you want to call it, the real Facebook Paranormal Almanac page doesn't make it as easy for people to post stuff. I can post stuff fine, but other people, it seems to kind of get lost in the mix. So this Facebook fan page seems to be working out great. Everybody's been cool. I haven't had any problems, or at least I haven't seen any problems. I really hope there's not because you guys are the best. You're the coolest freaking fans, and I can't thank you enough for that. Okay, back to the episode, back to sea serpents, back to lake monsters, whatever you want to call them. What do you guys think? I know I've asked this in the other two Sea Serpent episodes, but, I, you know, it's I'm stuck on this thing. Are they living dinosaurs? That seems to be what they are. Or are they some weird giant snake thing? But why do they have heads like horses or camels or whatever, dogs, whatever you want to call it? They seem to be something new, something different. They seem to be a lot more than what people say, oh, there's just one in Loch Ness and one in Lake Champlain. No, these things seem to be Again, all around the world. I'm not even done with the list. I could have done another hour. I'm not gonna because I gotta edit this one. Um, but I could have done another hour on even more lake monsters, sea serpents, whatever you want to call them. In By the way, there is a sea serpent um, t-shirt. It's almost like I knew that there was a sea serpent episode coming out soon. Um, but what do you guys think? You think they're dinosaurs? You think they're just something we don't know? You think it's something we do know that's just being misidentified over and over and over again? All right, that about does it for this week's episode. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Yes, how you buzzer snob